How the U.S. lifted children out of poverty and then threw them back into it. Isaac Kotiner Last year, according to a new report from the U.S. Census Bureau, child poverty in America more than doubled. This steep increase, which was accompanied by a general rise in poverty among all age groups, was preceded by two years of declining poverty rates, which were largely attributed to support offered by the federal government during the pandemic. In the case of child poverty, the most important driver of the 2022 jump was the expiration of the expanded child tax credit, which the Biden administration and congressional Democrats were unable to renew last year, thanks to the opposition of Senate Republicans and Joe Manchin. To talk about the report, I recently spoke by phone with Christopher Weimer, the director of the Center on Poverty and Social Policy at the Columbia University School of Social Work. During our conversation, which has been edited for length and clarity, we discussed why the child tax credit has been so successful at reducing poverty, whether states can fill the gap left by the federal government, and what lessons should be drawn from pandemic-era expansions of the social safety net. Sign up for the daily newsletter. Receive the best of the New Yorker every day in your inbox. Email address. By signing up, you agree to our user agreement and privacy policy and cookie statement. This site is protected by reCAPTCHA and the Google privacy policy and terms of service apply. What did this report tell us and how did it reach its conclusions about the child poverty rate in the past year? It showed what a lot of people were expecting, namely, that using the Supplemental Poverty Measure, which is a more robust measure of income poverty than the United States' official measure, and counts a lot of the income that the official measure ignores, such as tax credits and in-kind benefits, showed a major rise in poverty from 2021 to 2022. As I said, that was widely expected given that we knew a lot of the pandemic-era policy support to people's incomes had expired by 2022. For children, the major thing that expired was the 2021 expansion to the child tax credit that wasn't the only thing driving the increase in child poverty and poverty overall from 2021 to 2022, but for children it was a major part of the story. Do we have some sense of how much a part of the story it was? Yeah, the child poverty rate was 5.2% in 2021, and that increased to 12.4% in 2022, so it more than doubled. We put out a piece last week where we showed that if an expanded child tax credit had still been in place in 2022, the child poverty rate would have been about 8.1%, so much less than the 12.4% that the census saw. Poverty still would have gone up for children. But there were other parts to the story. In 2021, we had the third round of stimulus payments, or economic impact payments, as they're called. There was also the continuation of some other expansions to the safety net such as emergency allotments in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. So, from what we can tell, slightly more than half the increase in child poverty was due to the expiration of the credit. Correct. Your center wrote a report in the beginning of 2022 looking at just the jump from December 2021 to January 2022 after the expiration of the expanded credit and you found an even bigger increase in child poverty than the recent census report showed. Could this have been even worse? 
I think it's important to understand that the numbers we released in 2022 came from our estimation of monthly poverty rates. So it's a method that we developed to try to understand the poverty rates in the population in advance of the annual statistics that come out each year from the Census Bureau. One important and key difference between the two measures is that our monthly series is really trying to capture the inflow of income in a given month compared with the poverty rate in a given month, whereas an annual poverty measure is aggregating income across the calendar year. Our monthly series would ask how much the monthly payment in July, for example, reduced the child poverty rate in July, whereas the census numbers that came out last week are asking how all the income pulled across the calendar compared with an annual poverty measure. But, despite the differences, both show that the expiration of the expanded child tax credit threw a lot more children into poverty after keeping a lot of children out of poverty while those payments were in place. Can you talk a little bit about how the child tax credit works and why you think it has been so successful? Video from The New Yorker Rachel's Don't Run, Loneliness in an AI-Driven World https colon slash slash www.newyorker.com slash video slash watch slash rachels dash don't dash run hash sign intcid equals sign underscore cne dash interlude dash new yorker underscore two six a two nine five two six dash seven eighty four dash four f seven eight dash eight two nine and dash five eighty c three f one one two f six e underscore text two vc one the child tax credit has been around for about 26 years and historically has operated as part of people's tax filing and tax refunds It's been what the IRS calls partially refundable so that, for upper-income families, the credit can reduce the amount of taxes that people owe at tax time. And then, for lower and more moderate-income families, they can get a partial credit as a refund at tax time. Before the 2021 expansion, the maximum credit that one could be eligible for was $2,000 per child. And not everyone got that. The maximum that people could get as a refund, for example, was only $1,400 per child. There's an earnings floor, essentially, before you get anything. And then the credit would phase in as earnings increase. Our research at the center has shown that in the pre-expansion form of the credit, a lot of children were left out or left behind by that credit structure, particularly the children in the lowest-income families. A lot of people got only a partial credit, and some families with children got no credit at all. You needed substantial levels of earnings to get the full credit that was available to middle and upper middle class families. In 2021, the American Rescue Plan expanded the credit for that year and basically made three big changes. One change was that it increased the maximum size of the benefit levels from $2,000 to $3,000 per child for older children, 6 and above, and $3,600 per child for younger children, ages 0 to 5. The second major change is that it made the credit fully refundable and available to all families with children at the lower end of the income distribution and no longer tied to the earnings levels of their parents. The third major change was that the credit was delivered monthly in the last six months of 2021. So half of the credit was delivered to most families in July through December, in the middle of the month, and then the second half of the credit was delivered when families filed their taxes in early 2022. Those are the three major changes. They were in existence only for that year. And, as of 2022, the law reverted to its pre-pandemic form. This year, after we found out that the federal expansion was not going to be permanent, a number of states have stepped in and tried to increase their own child tax credits.
What do we know about those efforts, and is it too early to see what effect they might be having? How much hope do you have that, if the federal government doesn't step in, some of the uptick in poverty rates that we've seen can be mitigated? It's been exciting to see the momentum on this issue at the state level. The federal earned income tax credit has been around since 1975, but in recent decades a lot of states have adopted a state-level earned income tax credit. Usually those are pegged as a certain percentage of the federal one, but there really weren't that many state-level child tax credits before the federal expansion. So, like you said, a number of states have pursued or created or expanded state-level child tax credits in the past year or two, and it is a little too soon to look at all their impacts because they're going into effect at different times, and not all of them were fully in effect in 2022, which is the most recent data we have from the Census Bureau. The other thing I would note about them is that they tend to be much smaller than the 2021 expanded federal credit. They vary a lot in terms of size and the degree to which they're fully refundable, like the federal expanded credit was. In some states, they're more like rebates. They also vary in terms of whether they're permanent or temporary. But it's exciting to see, and we'll learn a lot more as more states put them into practice. And, of course, states have to balance their budgets every year as opposed to the federal government. So often they have less money to create and institute such a credit. Has it been mostly blue states that have tried to put in some sort of expansion recently, or has it been bipartisan? In part because this was a tax credit and not a government program, there was hope that the credit would be a bipartisan thing going forward. Have you seen that on the state level? They have tended to be blue states. New York had one before the pandemic and expanded it after the pandemic. The state had a credit that was only for children age 5 and above, and they extended the eligibility to younger children. California had one and has one still. A lot of the states that have been creating new ones tended to be the bluer states, like Maryland and Minnesota. The report says that the biggest increase in child poverty was in the South. Do we know much about regional distinctions? It seems that state-level efforts to fill in for the federal government are less likely to happen there, which would mean less help for the places with the worst child poverty. We showed in a report last year that the impacts of the credit on the reduction in poverty in 2021 were largest in the states that had a lower cost of living. The supplemental measure will have a higher poverty line in more expensive places, such as California and Washington, D.C. Sometimes there's a lower poverty line in places in the South where housing costs are much lower. So the credit, which doesn't vary regionally, is the same amount in Mississippi as it is in California, but essentially can do more anti-poverty impact when the poverty line is lower to begin with. Part of what might be going on is that the southern states might be losing more in relative terms because of the size of the benefit relative to their poverty line. There's been some talk about further federal expansions, and what we hear from politicians who seem more skeptical than most Democrats is that it would have to be bundled with work requirements. What exactly would a work requirement be, and how would that function in practice? So the way the child tax credit works, or worked before the pandemic, and how it works again now is it does have essentially what you would call a work requirement. You receive any amount of dollars from the credit only if you meet this earnings threshold, which is a few thousand dollars. 
In a sense, you have to work to get anything from it. And, to qualify for the full credit, you have to have pretty substantial earnings. As your earnings rise, you would get a larger credit, and then that plateaus for a while. And then, as your earnings get really quite substantial, the credit would again begin to phase out and become smaller. There are some people whose families have too much earnings to get anything from the credit, but that's a small fraction of families. That's usually what people are talking about when they're talking about instituting a work requirement, preserving that earnings floor and that phase in with earnings as earnings increase. But I think it's really important that all children are able to benefit from this program and that it not be just a middle-class subsidy. We've shown the importance that investments in children's family incomes can have for their long-term well-being and development. Kids who are not in poverty go on to earn more in the labor market, be healthier, all sorts of things that we want as a society. The other point that I often make to people is that incomes aren't a fixed characteristic. So, when you actually take a longer view, a lot more American families with children will experience a period of hard times and a period of low income. Having a robust child tax credit provides a bit of insurance against the risk of hard times. And it could even affect nonparental caregivers, such as grandparents, correct? Yeah, absolutely. The expanded credit was for all children, except, of course, some of the highest-earning families' children. Whoever was claiming the child on their taxes would be the person receiving that money. I don't want to slight the scale of what happened, but when you look at a chart of child poverty in the United States, which obviously is embarrassing, child poverty is still significantly below what it was a decade ago or even a couple decades ago. Why is that? And, even if what we saw in 2022 was horrific, what lessons can we learn from the longer-term trend of declining child poverty? At Columbia, we actually created a version of the supplemental poverty measure that I described earlier, going all the way back to 1967. It tries to capture in a consistent way the definition of income that includes not just cash income but these in-kind benefits and tax credits and the like. When we look at that over the long term, we do see that poverty has come down pretty dramatically over the past five-plus decades. A lot of that progress has come from policy alone. So that's a success story, but it's also a story that the labor market and all the economic progress and gains that we've had in the past five decades haven't necessarily translated into reductions in poverty unless you count the resources from government policies and programs. One lesson that we take from the recent expansion is that policy matters a lot, and policy can reduce child poverty and reduce need in this country as long as we have sustained effort behind it. But unfortunately, it was just one year where we conducted this experiment in social policy. The second lesson is that unfortunately we still need policy to be doing this work as opposed to our normal labor market and other institutions. When you say that this episode shows that policies work, what specifically with regard to children are we talking about in addition to the child tax credit? Policies tend to work together, but it's not just the child tax credit by any means. So you have the earned income tax credit, which was expanded periodically since it was created in 1975. It was originally a pretty small program. Especially in the 90s, it was expanded pretty dramatically under the Clinton administration. That's become increasingly important. 
The SNAP program as well has become increasingly important in recent years, especially after cash welfare was largely dismantled in the mid-90s. There are smaller programs, such as the National School Lunch Program, which provide important support. Social Security and its expansion in the 70s were a huge driver of reduction in elderly poverty. So it depends which subpopulation you're talking about, but it's not just the child tax credit that matters by any means. Diamond Suit